Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston and I work as a leadership and career coach for women. I'm looking forward to sharing with you an inspiring collection of career stories of a diverse range of women of Aotearoa New Zealand. I hope that by listening to these stories, you'll feel inspired in your own career. If you do enjoy the story, please head along to our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we have lots more stories of wonderful Kiwi women and their careers. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you have all the episodes at your fingertips. And please do tell your friends and family about it too. For now, though, I hope you enjoy listening to this career story. So I'm really looking forward to speaking today with Juanita Ryan. Juanita is the Deputy Chief Executive Health Services with Arapotama, the Department of Corrections. She's responsible for the operational delivery of health, mental health, addictions and disability services for people on remand or sentenced with the department. Juanita is a clinical psychologist by background with a PhD in psychology. She started her career as a psychologist with the Waikato District Health Board and Juanita joined Arapotama 12 years ago and she's held a range of roles there including Principal Psychologist, Director Programs and Interventions and Chief Psychologist before taking on the Deputy Chief Executive role last year. Kia ora Juanita and thank you very much for joining me. Kia ora, it's lovely to be here with you Anna. Super, well the first question I've got for you, I'd love to take you back to when you were a child or as you were growing up, perhaps even into your teenage years, what careers were you thinking about or aspiring to? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I've thought about this a bit and I, I'm not actually sure if at primary school I had much of an idea. I was very diligent and very hardworking and I, and I think one of the things that's always stuck with me is that my parents were very supportive of me in terms of the career direction I wanted to take and said, if you work hard, um, you've got the potential um, to do well with whatever you choose to do. You've got a good brain, so use it and use it wisely. I, I think it, when I got to high school, I probably lost a little bit of my momentum when it came to the academic interests and what I wanted to do and, and just sort of fell out of love a bit with, with school, I think, and struggled a bit with really going, what am I going to do and where am I going to go? and sort of thought about health, helping professions. And that's, that had always been my passion, I think, thinking about social justice, equity, uh, and working with others for the greater good, if you like. And I think it wasn't until my seventh form year, well, sixth form year, which is, I think, year 12 now, that something really shifted for me. And I can remember being in one of my classes and my friend sitting behind me said, do you know who I'm going to vote for, for head girl? And I said, no, who will that be? And he said, well, that would be you. And I was really surprised by that because I'd never been pegged for a role like that. I, I was very average academically. I certainly wasn't a sporting type. And I think at that point I thought, gosh, other people are seeing something in me I haven't seen in myself. And it gave me a huge sense of perhaps there's some opportunities here for what I could be and where I might want to go with my career. And at that point, people said to me, this, some of my school friends said, what you seem to be really good at is listening and supporting other people um, and helping them through when they're having challenges. So I think that sort of last two years at school, being made head girl actually the year after and thinking about what this could be in terms of my opportunities really resonated with me. And then when I went to university, by the, my second year there, I was very clear that I wanted to be a clinical psychologist and pursued that from that point onwards. Mm, really interesting. And interesting to hear that somebody else saw something in you, as you said, that maybe you didn't see in yourself. But equally, there was that thing of, okay, I think probably helping, listening, supporting other people along the lines of social justice as well was 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 there with you. And 
you said even by second year, you were really clear clinical psychology and becoming a clinical psychologist was what you wanted to do. What was it about that that really appealed? I think it was that as I sort of grew through my my teenage years, that sense of knowing I had a you know, a strong empathy for other people, a strong compassion. And when I look back at some of the adults in my life that have influenced me me the most, that, that's a trait that they have had too that I have admired in them. So I always think that the fact that I had a strong empathy and had such a, a sort of ingrained sense of wanting to be part of supporting people to have a life worth living, to have a great life, uh, to have a healthy life, that clinical psychology at that point, that, that seemed like the pathway and the vehicle would be able to achieve that. And tell me then about your first job or jobs. What did you learn from some of those? Well, my, my, my first jobs are probably from about the age of uh, 13 up to 17. So that was washing dishes and um, working in orchards and plant nurseries. And, and, and I think if I, if, I, if I think about those roles, what that taught me was about humility, about the importance of starting at the foundations you know, of my working career. It also taught me really clearly that these were really hard, hard jobs. I needed to think very clearly about where I was going if I wanted to achieve what I wanted to, you know, wanted to achieve with my career, because I really wasn't cut out for those sorts of hard physical, physical roles, but certainly enjoyed the opportunity there. When I went into the workforce, I started as a psychologist in the Waikato DHB, and I had a really, I had a great level of support from the people around me when I was at the DHB, a great level of autonomy. And I think one of the first uh, lessons that I learned from one of my senior colleagues was around the importance of looking after myself. And so this hadn't been something really through my training in those days that was had been a big and strong focus, which potentially it sounds surprising given mm. the nature of my training. It was it was certainly a hard slog and necessarily so, but wasn't necessarily in those days focused on your own well-being. And so that was a real shift for me and a real thought about the importance of looking after myself to be able to look after others and a very powerful shift in, in how I thought and worked and really permission not to burn them at night all necessarily to be able to be good at the job. And really interesting for me because I, I studied psychology at university and, and toyed with the idea of becoming a clinical psychologist and in the end ended up going more down the organisational psychology route. And part of me for that was actually I thought then potentially about the impact of dealing with and supporting people who were going through difficult, challenging times and the impact that that might have on me. I wasn't sure if I had the resilience myself to be able to cope yeah. through it. So it's interesting that you talk about that, that when you actually started working, that was something you recognised for yourself. Yeah, no, absolutely. And look, I think you're right. I think probably resilience has been one of the things that's been a lifelong area that I've had to grow and think about how to work on for myself, certainly in this role, because of the, the challenging and the difficult and the very sad um, stories and histories you hear from people, but also as a leader, actually, the impact of leading and needing to develop a really strong resilience and to, 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 I think, be able to lead with integrity consistently. And then what then led you to join Arapotama, the Department of Corrections? Gosh, I, I think it was, that's a great question. And, and at the time, I had just finished my PhD. We had, I think, a five-month-old in a 19-month-old, so I'd, I'd completed my PhD while having my uh, two daughters wow. in between. We had just bought 
uh, house and the interest rates are quite a lot and uh, on that and we thought gosh we're in a we're in a bit of a pickle financially and somewhere when I was trawling through the internet I came across some roles at corrections and I thought gosh the way that that is written up and the remuneration package that 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 looks really attractive and we, we certainly need to start thinking about how we're going to be able to sustain our family for the future. And so I was really, I was with real trepidation that I applied for the role as a psychologist with corrections, thinking all of the things I was passionate about, social justice, working with people with mental illness, vulnerable people, people with brain injuries and really complex presentations, I was leaving that behind. And of course, how naive that was. All of the things that I was so passionate about, I have in spades in terms of working with corrections and some of our most complex and vulnerable people within our society. So from a point of trepidation, I I felt like in the last 12 years, I've really found a place that I'm passionate about as a public servant. And what is it that you're really passionate about? What do you really enjoy about your, your work? Uh, I I guess the kernel of it for me is that sense of being able to work within a leadership role now as part of the greater good. So at the heart of our strategy, which is Hōkairangi for the Department of Corrections, as a focus on humanising and healing and the wellness and wellbeing of people. So that's our staff, that's the people in our prisons, but it's also about the community as well um, and how we ensure we work with people to support them to be well-functioning, healthy, resilient members of society when they leave our prisons or uh, leave being on sentence with us, which the vast majority of people will be. And I think to be part of that, to be part of an organisation so committed to improving social outcomes, not just for the individual, but for the whānau and how we work as part of a state sector and with iwi Māori organisations, non-governmental organisations to achieve that change is something that's really exciting. And I think across the government, there's a real sense of how are we going to work together to achieve the outcomes for these really gnarly and complex issues. And as someone that's naturally inclined towards social justice and as a health professional, it feels like there couldn't be a better time for being part of something this important uh, and this significant. Mm, And as you've now been with Corrections Now for over 12 years, you've progressed through your roles and ultimately into the the Deputy Chief Executive role for health. What's been the path or the journey into into that role? Uh, Look, I... (laughs) I don't think I've had a really clear career pathway or plan, but there's been a point, I think, with each role when I thought, I think I've reached a point where this, I'm, I'm looking for what might be the next opportunity, either within this role or the next one. I've sort of fallen over them. So I was five years as a, started out as a, a frontline psychologist and then spent five years in a manager's role with a psychology team really keen on being part of the big picture and a bit frustrated that was where my role necessarily sat. I didn't get that opportunity to really punt up some of my strategic ideas or thinking. And just as I was starting to get particularly frustrated about that, I got a phone call saying, hey, there's a role coming up in Wellington. I was living in Kirikiriroa, Hamilton at the time, with which is the director's role of programs and interventions, and you might be interested in it. And so I talked to my husband and we thought, Let's go for it. So I applied for that role and and got it. And what I'm particularly lucky about is I have an incredible partner who some years ago dedicated himself to being house husband, making sure our, our house uh, and our children, everything on that side of our lives was running smoothly. Um, and when this role came up, he said, we will, we will follow you, we will follow your career and your aspirations, and we will go on this adventure together. So that was a really powerful and impactful decision that he supported me to make, uprooting ourselves from one town to another, might only be a few hundred kilometres between them, but but still significant for a young family. And, and so then I was in that 
in that role for around about three years and actually got restructured into the chief psychologist's role. So that was, you know, something I knew well. I knew psychology in the department very well and a real opportunity to look at how we strengthen and grow that part um, of our business and the important services that psychologists play and very much enjoyed that. And then about two years into that, I learned they were setting up the deputy chief executive health role. And I thought, my gosh, with our new strategy and the focus in there, that sounds like just a wonderful opportunity to be at the forefront of the, the, the strategy and of strengthening health services, mental health services, addiction services for people within Arapotama. So I applied for that role. And look, what, what was interesting is initially I didn't get an interview for it. And I thought, that's fair enough. I'm, I'm punting a bunt above my weight with putting my hand up for that role. But the seat at the time invited me to have a conversation with her and, and said, look, there was somebody else that fitted the bill more perfectly than I did, but she really backed me and wanted to support me. And so what could they do around that? And I said, there's actually nothing too much you can do because I've been really well supported at the department, but please don't overlook me if there's an opportunity you think that I might be able to succeed in for the department if them come up in the future. Fortunately for me, potentially not fortunately for the person that lined up the role, it fell through for them. They weren't able to take it on, something had happened. And so she tapped me on the shoulder and gave me the opportunity to have a punt at it. And I took that with both hands then and thought, this is an incredible opportunity. There's so much we can be doing to strengthen and grow our health services within Arapautama. And so I've been in that role for the last the last two years. First 12 months on a, really on a secondment and now permanently appointed into the role. Yeah, wonderful. And I loved in that story, the first bit that, that you shared was uh, about your husband and the support he's given you. But I like the way you described it as he said, look, we'll go on this adventure together. And that sense of partnership was um, came through really strongly. But also I love the fact that you were like, well, I see she got to each through each roles and what I think there's a bit more I think yeah. I could do more I think I could contribute more and that you put your name you put your hat in the ring for uh, for those opportunities and created some of those conversations which ultimately resulted in you taking on a really exciting strategic leadership role yeah no absolutely and look I think the important thing too is, is I think it's important to share when things don't quite pan out because it can often look like somebody's trajectory has been really linear or smooth and I tell people often that I missed out the first time around and and I think that's made me a better leader and, and humility is one of the things I think it's really important to have in leadership and it's those sorts of experiences that help keep me grounded in that. Yeah, I think it is. And I think certainly when I was creating this podcast, I didn't want it to be all kind of shiny and show these perfect linear career paths because I don't really know anyone who's had that. Most of us have had bumps and roadblocks and twists and turns along the way and things where things haven't gone quite to plan. I mean, mean, if you think about and you look back at your career today, what have been some of your toughest career challenges or, or moments? Yeah, gosh, I think... I think I've chosen not to do it easy. I, I, I've chosen to work very hard. I've got, you know, I've got my work ethic. I've got a really strong work ethic, and and I think unless I'm sweating, then I'm I'm, I'm questioning how impactful I'm being. So in saying that, if there are times though that I think have been particularly tricky for me, I, I think the times where I've had to stand what's felt like somewhat apart on an issue, particularly issues of integrity, and there may have been more people in more you know powerful positions of leadership in which I've, I'm, I'm questioning the thinking of or the decision-making of, and I've had to pursue a response or a course of action with consultation with others around continuing to push on issues of importance. And that's, of course, very stressful. Of course, it feels like, my goodness, 
what impacts it's going to have on my, my reputation and my career prospects here, but ultimately keep coming back to what's the right thing to do through an ethical and integrity lens. But there's been a couple of times that I've gone through that process and, and found that that, that really difficult, very, very stressful, and responded to that, as I said, by ensuring I've wrapped myself with people that I trust their perspective. I, I trust their advice. I trust them to tell me if it's time for me just to, to stop and sort of with, with, withdraw in terms of the position that I'm taking and to help guide me guide me through that. And, and I think kind of on a similar vein, the other times that I've found really difficult, and I think this speaks to my resilience, is I've probably got a fairly unhealthy desire to be liked by other people. And I know that plenty of people have that, but, you know, a couple of the, you know, the personality psychometric tests I've got, certainly one of them demonstrated that I was at the higher end of that desiring other people to, to see me in a positive regard. And, and so I think as I've become a leader and a more senior leader, one of the things that I've had to come to terms with, if I'm to do my job well and with integrity, it does doesn't always mean that I'm also going to be able to take everyone on that journey with me. And sometimes I'm going to have to have difficult conversations consistently with people, both to try to lift them and support them, but that's not always where things end up. It, it may be that we're just not able to progress with the same vision. And I've found that to be very challenging in my career and working about how I build up my resilience and, the, and not to not be empathic but to appreciate where am I going and why is that so important for the greater good, even though I know that there's some people that uh, are struggling with the direction or the expectations that are now being placed on them. If I think yeah, if I think more generally, they're the two areas that I think if I've sort of lost sleep, if I found myself ruminating, if I found myself feeling distressed and really uneasy, it has been working through those, those two key sorts of scenarios in my career. Mm, really interesting. And I think they're, they're ones that a lot of my coaching work is, is with women, but a lot of the women that I speak with face, whether that of they having a different view and, and coming up against resistance and, and making a choice about how much they push or how much courage they have to continue to pursue that, that voice. But the other side then also being this, that very many women I speak to have this desire to people please or be liked or, and that as you progress through into a leader role, recognising that's not always possible and that actually you maybe need to aim to be respected rather than to, to be liked as an, as an aim. Yeah, no, look, absolutely. And I think as much as possible still, my desire is to take people with me because they respect me and they like me. But I keep thinking, you know, where are we trying to go? What does it mean to have safer communities? And what is our vision and our purpose? And if those two, if, if that doesn't align with where people are at, it's about how do you support them onto a journey which does align with them rather than sort of bending the expectations of the vision or the integrity of where we're going uh, just so it's less comfortable. Mm, mm, less, less uncomfortable, I should say. Less uncomfortable yeah. and making it more about the purpose than about you almost because that purpose is bigger, of course, than, than, than you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And Juanita, have there even been any challenges or obstacles that you may have particularly felt as a woman in your career? It's, it's, that is a great question. And hand on heart, I, I can't say that during the course of my career, there have been specific instances where I thought, gosh, the challenges I'm having are because of my gender. And now in saying that, I know that certainly would have been the case at times. I'm an optimist. I tend to see the best in others. So I don't tend to interpret people's behaviour through that through that lens. I'm in a profession dominated by women, so that probably puts me in a slightly different place as a, as a psychologist and the sort of skills and tools that we, we develop along the way. The two times that I, I have 
come across it. Actually, it was one at high school, and going back to that year that I was appointed head girl as the deputy head boy the year before me said that the head girl is just a figurehead. You don't have to do anything. The head boy does does everything. And, and I think my response to that is the time and being brought up in a family where there wasn't a lot of distinction between the genders. Myself, my sisters and my brothers was, were, were treated as if we all had capability irrespective of our, our gender. So that was a real surprise to me. And my response to that was going, well, I'm going to make sure that we share the responsibility and the leadership for this role. I'm not going to sit back. So I doubled down on my efforts to ensure that I was, you know, meaningful and you constructive and, and useful in my role as head girl. And and the only other time I think was when an elderly relative sort of sort of laughed at me for starting my clinical psychology career, seeing that as potentially a waste of time when my next step was going to get married and have children. And I think I responded to that probably with empathy and going, gosh, this person's of a different generation. That they, they probably won't even know how to support my career trajectory uh, because that's so foreign to them to see uh, a woman on the pathway like this. But don't let that stop me. And I think I like the way you talk about responding with empathy and, and recognising actually things have changed from 50 years ago. And isn't it great now to see that it's an absolutely a viable option for either partner to choose to maybe push on, different people take turns at different times to perhaps look after the children, that it's less about this is a woman's role anymore. There's there's a range of opportunities available for women. I think I always think it's nice to Sometimes, yes, people may say, oh, progress on gender equality is a little bit slow, but I think you also need to look back 50 years ago and see how far we've come, which is a long way. Absolutely. Yeah. And you've talked about your strong work ethic, the fact that at times this role can be really challenging. How do you find some sort of balance between your work and and your broader life? One of the things that I have done for years now is I take a week off every school holidays. So I go hard for three months in the role and then one week of the school holidays every term I take off to to spend with my my husband and my children and just take tools down and relax. And when I do that, my out of office is on. I don't answer my phone. There is somebody that's delegated all the tasks so that I can take a break. So I'm, I'm, I'm certainly focused on how do I also role model the importance of looking after my well-being at the same time as working hard in the role. Also for years, my youngest daughter has had the expectation of me that I am home every single morning uh, for breakfast with her. So for years and years, irrespective of what's going on or the chaos that I'm feeling at work or or what pressures I'm under, we sit down till 7.30 in the morning from about 7 o'clock and we play cards and we have breakfast and talk about our days together. And it's not something that she would expect me to stop doing and it's not something that I would want to stop doing. So even in the holidays such as today, she will get in, she will will sit with me for breakfast together. And I think that's really special. That's a really special time for us together and just the importance of not using all the hours in the day to dedicate yourself to work because there's always more of it. And I keep really firmly in my mind, you know, at the point where I pass on, what is it that I want people to be saying about me? And what is it that I want the people I love the most to be saying about me? And it's certainly not going to be my children standing up saying what a great worker I was. And so it's, it's that thought also that keeps me motivated. How do I balance my, my strong passion and desire for my career with actually what's most important to me, my, my children, my husband, my family, being and being the best that I can for them. So I go to the gym, I'm doing Te Reo Māori lessons, which is a, a personal objective and goal that I've, I've carried with me for a long time and just try to do those things as well as spending time with squeezing in time with friends when I can to try and make sure there's the best balance that I possibly can get. 
Yeah, and I think having that mix, but also I just it really made me smile when you talked about that time with your daughter in the morning and just about taking that time and that space and to be really present, you say, playing cards. It just was, it's not about some lofty goal. It's just about those day-to-day moments that help you and, and your family to feel grounded, I guess. Look, absolutely. And I think the other thing is the, the my husband's, uh, he's not part of the state sector. He's not a bureaucrat. He's a builder. He loves rugby. He's not someone that if I'm coming home and there's a whole pile of things occurring within the work context, he is incredibly supportive, but that's not his world. Uh, The children, you know, they want me to jump on the trampoline or download about their day or, you know, whatever it is. So it's very good at just grounding me back into the home life and, and putting a stake in the ground that that now I'm home and no matter what I've done, these people love me, but they don't really want to talk about that stuff. They want to talk Mm. about school, their sports, um, and the other things in their lives. And so it's, it's really helped me put the, a division between who I am as a, at, at work and who I am as a mum and a wife. Yeah, I can imagine that would be really helpful. And we've talked, Juanita, a bit about some of the tough times that you may have faced. As you look back on your career to date, what have been some of your proudest career moments? Gosh, that's a, that's a difficult question. I think, in a way, one of the most memorable moments of my life was walking onto the stage to get my PhD with a, uh, golly, you know, four-month-old and a 19-month-old, two baby girls in the audience um, with my husband and my family there. And although they were too young to, of course, remember that, it meant the world to me. It meant the world to me to have them there for them to be part of that celebration and to be part of that point in my life, which was frantic and hectic with two little kids, but just a a wonderful experience. I think some of the other things, I've had so many great opportunities in my career and been involved in many incredible initiatives, been a a wheel in the cog in in many things that have given me thoroughly, I've enjoyed and felt some real achievement from. But, But some of the things have been have been the smaller things, have been the impact that uh, working with particular people have have had on their lives. It's been, I used to, um, for a number of years, be responsible for a violence prevention program for men at high risk of committing further violence. And, and building a rapport and understanding of sort of what, what the drivers were for these men in terms of changing their lives and the drivers for their violence and what I learned from them, actually, not, not, not about what I taught them or the expertise I imparted, but what I learned from them about the incredible struggles that they had been through and also how hard they worked to change their lives. One of the most fulfilling things is when they used to to connect back with us. Once they were off sentence, once they were out of the program to tell us how their lives were going. I remember one one particular guy that used to often come in just to to connect in and and let us know how he was going, letting me know one day that he crashed into the back of an older woman in in his car. And rather than do what he always would have done, which would have been to leave the scene without leaving any details in a flash, he actually stopped, got out. And at that point, he said he was in his gang colours. And he went up to her window and he gave her a number and he said that he was really sorry. And he said, here's my number for you to uh, call so that I can ensure that I address the damage to the back of your car. And he said, what happened is the next day she turned up at his house with a basket full of food for him and his family. And he said that was so powerful that he felt part of society again, that someone saw through the colours he was wearing and that that potentially scary scary and intimidating outer that he presented and saw the real person and the significance of what he did. And, and I learned down the track that that guy, he actually, even though he had been staunchly committed to the gang, he had, he'd actually left 
he'd actually left that gang to commit himself to his partner and his children and a business venture. And it's things like that, just those stories of the individual, just one person at a time, where you hear that they've shifted their life in a significant way, that's probably had the most emotional impact on me over the course of my career. Mm, I can imagine, and I can hear that in you, that as you said, quite profound impact that connections along the way has had on somebody's life and shifting that to a path of, as you talked about, of well-being and wellness and living a healthy, fulfilled life, which you talked about kind of almost being your broader purpose as well as alongside the, the purpose of being of, of Arapotama. Lovely. Thank you, Juanita. And I'm really interested, you know, you've been now for a couple of years in this Deputy Chief Executive role. Where would you see your career heading now in the future? I have stayed with my passion and where I think I can make the most, you know, be be as impactful as I can. And at this stage um, in the game, there's there's certainly a lot more to do with supporting not just health services with another potama, but our wider strategic um, objectives. Because if if wellness and wellbeing is at the heart of that, of course, that to me clearly means that people's health and wellbeing are at the heart of that. So I'm really excited about where the next few years within Arapaitama and those opportunities will take us in my opportunity to be part of that, to influence that, to be a strategic driver towards ensuring that we've got communities that are safer, people that are in those communities that are healthier, more resilient and are contributing in a meaningful way. And I think I'm a career public servant. So that's where my heart is, working within complex contexts and working with an equity lens on everything that I do and a titariti lens alongside that. So I have no idea what will happen when this role comes to an end, but I'm really excited and delighted with what the next you know few years is going to bring. Yeah, great. And I think most people I speak to don't have some kind of perfectly mapped out plan for the next 5, 10, 15 years, because we don't even know what the world or organisations might even look like in 5, 10 years time. So it's, it's difficult to map that out. But I can see that sort of strong as you said, equity, purpose-driven um, approach, I'm sure will stick will stick with you. Wonderful. And I'd have one last question. You've you know, shared a little bit of advice along the way, um, whether it's about taking care of your own well-being, that resilience piece, a bit around the balance. What other career advice would you have for, for other women? Oh, look, yeah, I think one of the things is, is that integrity is doing the right thing, everyone, even when uh, you think nobody is watching, sticking with your values and surrounding yourself with the right support, I think is really, really important. And ensuring that your values are supported in some way within the organisation that you that, that you work for. They might not always be completely aligned if you're, if you're wanting to work for transformational change within agencies, which may not be, be quite there yet, but surround yourself with people that are going to support you with that, because that, that, that could certainly be an opportunity to start influencing agencies to shift their thinking. Uh, but the other thing that I would probably say is you just... You know, no, no matter where you are or what roles you're currently in, and particularly potentially to young women, you just don't know who's around and what they might be observing. And then I guess I'll give the example of uh, being in a shoe store a couple of years ago with my teenage daughter, my older teenage daughter, trying on many pairs of shoes. It was a birthday present. She was getting pretty frustrated. She was being, as you would expect a 13-year-old girl to be in a shoe store. And there was a young guy that was serving her and brought out numerous pairs of shoes, very calm and very polite. And we, I got to the, the counter and he See, we now take email addresses um, and as, as part of our, uh, and to send the invoice to. And so I'd given him my corrections email address and he said, look, I've always wanted to work at corrections. That is my dream. That is the place I want to work. And I said, what do you, what do you want to do? He said, I want to be a psychologist. And I said, wow, 
am I the person for you to talk with? I said, here is my number. I said, if you call me, I said, I'll meet with you and I will talk to you about your career options and give you some advice about both that psychology opportunities, but also what it might mean to work with another potama. And he did. He was delighted. And he did. And we met for coffee and he's, and I've asked him to keep me updated and he emails me every six months. And in fact, actually after this, Anna, I'm meeting with him again because uh, he is looking at what his next options are for postgraduate work. And I guess the thing there is just that you know, be, being yourself, being consistently respectful and thoughtful in every context, you just don't know who it might be that might be there observing you that, or interacting with you that could be your next opportunity. Mm, you do never know. And sometimes it's those chance interactions that, again, can potentially change somebody's life path. If it wasn't for your daughter having a birthday and needing shoes, then your paths would never have crossed. And then his path may never have left it, led down that psychology route. And just through that chance interaction, you never know where those are going to where those are going to lead. But I also really liked your point, um, Juanita, about that, about the need to be clear on your own values, to see how they're aligned with the organization you're working with, and to make sure you've got support around you so that to enable you enable you to live those values as well. Absolutely. And I'd just say, though, this young guy hadn't have been so diligent, uh, so respectful and so calm, I wasn't going to, I wouldn't have been inclined to have offered the support. So, you know, what he brought as a young guy at that point was also what shifted my attention towards him and said, this is someone that looks like they've got real potential that needs, that, that deserves to be backed. Yeah, absolutely. And even it almost takes me back to that, you know, the interactions you had at your high school and that person, the guy behind you saying, look, I've kind of seen something in you. I'm going to vote for you as head girl. You never know who's observing you on that day-to-day basis and seeing some qualities in you that you may not always see. Juanita, it's been such a pleasure to speak to you today and I guess to hear about your approach to work and to life, which just struck me as very, you've talked about humility a couple of times, but it's just a very humble, very optimistic, that wonderful empathy coming through, but also incredibly purpose-driven. So thank you very much for, uh, for taking the time to share it today. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Anna. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Female Career Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more inspiring stories of women of Aotearoa and their careers, subscribe to the Female Career Podcast via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you like to listen so that you never miss a story. You can also take a look at our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we feature the stories. And if you subscribe to our mailing list, you can have career advice and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to you joining us again soon.